Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts chapter 15, as we continue through the study of the book of Acts. And uh, well, happy 4th of July. Happy uh, Independence Day to you on a Sunday. And as you know, in uh, 1776, there was a Declaration of Independence that was signed that declared freedom. And I got news for you. There's a greater freedom that we celebrate today. And uh, we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, John Adams, when he signed that Declaration of Independence, he said these words, Whether we live or die, sink or swim, succeed or fail, I stand behind the Declaration of Independence. And if God wills it, I'm ready to die in order that this country might experience freedom. This is a freedom that we know has come at a great, a great cost. And it's a freedom that we know is just a little picture of what real freedom really, truly is that came at an even greater cost as Jesus gave his life for our freedom. And so today, as we get into Acts chapter 15, we're, it's going to take me a good while to get there because i got to do some uh, groundwork leading up to that. So if you want to put a finger over in Galatians, Paul's going to be addressing some of the same issues in Galatians chapter 5, and so we'll kind of uh, be there early on. But in, in Acts chapter 15, we have what is called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council really meets together. It's the first ecumenical council that meets together where they talk about the doctrine of salvation. I mean, what must I do to be saved? What has to happen? How am I going to be saved? And so they meet together to talk about this after Gentiles are being brought into the church. They're really, they're kind of meeting together to sign to sign a declaration of independence. They're meeting together to talk about the freedom we have in Christ, in Christ alone. And so the doctrine of salvation is what we're going to cover today. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to do my best, but we might only get halfway through the chapter today, and that's okay because there's always next week, Lord willing. Freedom, as we understand it, is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. And as we get into Galatians, we're going to see the Greek word, freedom, the one that we sang from the very first uh, song this morning, means in liberty. And that's why that song is called Liberty. It means to be unrestrained, and that is to be a citizen and no longer a slave. As we celebrate an independence, we celebrate an independence from the bondage of sin, a slavery to sin. We celebrate an independence that has been won by Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that Scripture declares our freedom from sin's power, that we are all held captive. We are all enslaved to sin, but through one man's righteousness, we have freedom. So Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Let me stop right there. This is saying through Adam's sin, all were enslaved to sin. Every one of us. We were born sinful, born into sin. We were not born good. Uh, If you've ever worked in the nursery, you know, right? You know. Kids are, they're sinners from the beginning, right? And, you know, so we know that through one man's disobedience, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But through one man's obedience, Jesus Christ we have righteous, righteousness. Now, verse 20. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. What it did is it showed us how bad we really are 
But where sin increased, here it is, I love this. Grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased. Listen, just take that personal for just a second. Where sin increased in your life, where you were bound to sin, where you were enslaved to sin, there is Jesus Christ where grace abounds all the more. There's not a sin in your life that's so sinful that he can't redeem it. Woo, right? Amen, that's freedom. Shoot a firework or something for that, right? So, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We realize that our freedom was purchased in Jesus Christ, and that sanctification that we now feel will one day be full righteousness found in glory. Scripture declares our freedom from the law to live by grace. This is where we get into Galatians chapter 5. We are set free to live by grace. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be at no advantage to you. Now, let me tell you, up front, your kids are in here. We're going to talk about circumcision a lot this morning. They're going to have all kinds of questions, so get ready, okay? Because I'm not going to explain it from up here. All right, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You, who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, where grace abounds all the more, he's saying, look, if you accept circumcision, if you accept something from the law, if you think there's something you must do to be saved, you've severed yourself from Christ. He is of no value to you whatsoever. And so, You've fallen away from the grace that he offers. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Scripture declares our freedom from the law to live by grace. Let me tell you something. People who live by grace, get this, they show grace. People who live by law show legalism. You know that to be true, right? People who live by grace show grace. People who live by the law show a lot of legalism. And this is where Paul goes, verse 13, For we were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So right here, Paul writes to Christians. He's like, look, you are set free. You are to live in grace. There's to be a grace about you because grace abounds all the more to save you from your sin. So you're to live by grace and show grace. But man, if you, as believers, choose to live by law and show legalism instead, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna nitpick one another. You're gonna bite and devour one another in such a way that you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna consume one another. Because you're never going to meet the mark. You're never going to be good enough to meet the standard of what you think that Christian should be. Am I right? And so a lot of us, we come into church with a lot of church hurt, a lot of church wounds, because a weight has been put on us of, oh, you're, you just don't, you don't act like this. You don't look like this. You don't, you don't follow the same, law, the same laws that I follow. You know, you're only allowed to watch one R-rated movie. That's Passion of the Christ, right? And you, you broke that law. Right? So there's a whole bunch of things that we put on ourselves of, oh, i got to look like this. 
And we come in with church hurt because we have been devoured by other believers who don't elevate grace, but they elevate law and legalism. What we understand as we look at today, as we shoot off fireworks or watch someone else who's crazy shoot off fireworks and hopefully they don't hurt themselves or you or a dog or anything else in the yard, we understand that freedom doesn't come without a fight. The, the forefathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, they knew that it was going to be a fight for their independence. Listen, for us to experience freedom, there's a fight. And, and the great news of that is the war is already won because Jesus Christ put on flesh and entered the battle on our behalf so that we could have salvation. This is the doctrine of salvation. It's so good. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Our freedom was bought through Christ's fight against sin and death. This means that as we sing holy, 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 we're talking about the Trinity here. And the second person of the Trinity, he took off his, his heavenly robes and he was brought into a manger and was wrapped in swaddling clothes because he put on flesh. He entered the battle. He entered the war for our sake to live the life that we can't live, the perfect, sinless life, to go to death, even death on the cross, so that we could be free, free indeed. Philippians, Paul writes this in chapter 2, verse 5, halfway through, through verse 8. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ won our freedom by entering the battle for us, by fighting the fight of faith that we can't fight on our own. Freedom doesn't come without a fight. He entered into what we know as temptation. Luke records this in chapter 4. 1 through 2 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. That's, a, that's an understatement, right? You don't eat for 40 days, you're going to be hungry. Some of you are going to struggle to make it through the next 40 minutes until we eat barbecue. Right? You're like, oh, come on, wrap it up. We got it. Salvation. Let's go. Jesus put on flesh. And not only that, he was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. He was the perfect sacrifice. And we learn that free people fight sin. And enslaved people submit to sin. Free people fight sin. And slave people still submit to it. John chapter 8, 34 through 36, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I mean, get this. Our freedom is not that we can continue in sin but that we now through Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit have the ability to fight sin, which we couldn't have done without Christ, right? Freedom, freedom doesn't come without a fight. And so you and I are in a battle, each and every one of us, we are continually fighting temptation. 
continually fighting sins that are being thrown in our face. We're continually fighting a world that is saying, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do this. Where you see churches then go, okay, well, in the name of love, let's say it's okay to do this. We are continually fighting for freedom in Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, remember that if you are a child of God, you will never be happy in sin. Let's just take that right there. Salvation. Jesus Christ has done a work on your behalf. And if you acknowledge that, understand that, you've been raised in church, you get that, yet you continue to live happy and sinful lifestyle, it shows that you're still enslaved to sin. It shows that you may not be a son or a daughter of the king. You may not be in the house, but you may be all around it, knowing all the truths about it. But see, when we have the Spirit of God living in us, man, we cannot live without conviction of sin in our life. How many people today claim freedom in Christ yet continue in sin? And look, right now, if there's a sin in your life that you've said is okay, and you have You've seared your conscience to where it doesn't even affect you anymore. Like, let this be scary for you just for a second, that those who continue in sin are enslaved to sin. And these are the words of Christ. You can no longer continue in that. We are set free. Free. Our freedom doesn't come without a fight. Jesus Christ has won that war. He has fought that battle. He has, he has written his word on our heart. This is New Covenant language where he is given us the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit so that we too can fight those temptations with Christ in us. But we also have to fight false doctrines. Because there's a world out there that wants to change the way we interpret Scripture so it, it, it goes with what we want to do. There are false doctrines after false doctrines after false doctrines coming up. And it's no different than Acts chapter 15. A false doctrine is, is arisen here in Acts 15. And the church is going to gather to talk about it. It says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Sometimes we revert back to a works-based religion. That's what Paul is addressing here to the Galatians. George Whitfield said this, True conversion means turning not only from sin, but also from depending on self-made righteousness. We have to get to a point where we understand that it's not about how good we are that gains us acceptance with Christ. It's how great Christ is. It's how wonderful his grace is that gives us freedom. Charles Kingsley says this, and I love it, there are two freedoms, the false, where a man is free to do what he likes, and the true, where he is free to do what he ought. Church, you have been set free. And don't let a false doctrine tell you you've been set free to do what you want that's enslavement. You've been set free by the power of Jesus Christ to do what you ought, to do what he created you to do, to be, to be, a, to be one who bears witness of his glory, to worship him in word and in deed. You are set free. You are incapable before. Your good works were as filthy rags before. You are saved by grace through faith. Our freedom does not come without Christ. Listen, there is no freedom without Jesus Christ. We can, we can celebrate freedom today. 
But let me tell you something. There is no true freedom without Jesus Christ. Paul says this in verses 2 through 6. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here's what he says. If you think that there's something you can do to be right before God, you're sorely mistaken. It's like the rich young ruler. What must I do to be saved? I've kept this law. I've kept this law. I've kept this law. I've kept them all since I was young. Well, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and come follow me. He drops his head and he walks away sad because it was too hard. Listen, what must I do to be saved? Give all of yourself to Christ. There is no freedom apart from Jesus Christ. If you believe that there's something you must do to be saved, essentially you believe that Christ's work, his life, death, and his resurrection just isn't enough for salvation. If you believe that there's an external goodness that credits you with righteousness, you have mistaken his righteousness for self-righteousness. And only one of those is acceptable in God's eyes. Our freedom has been given to us by Jesus Christ. And our freedom isn't freedom to continue in sin. It's a freedom to gracefully love others. Church, you've been set free today. And you've been given grace today to show grace today. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. Some people believe they're free to do what they want, and that freedom leads to enslavement. Don't spit in the face of God's grace by continuing in sin. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. As we get into the doctrine of salvation, John MacArthur says this, and I want to I give you this thought. True Christianity is not about adding Jesus to your life. How many people have said, I'm a pretty good person. I need to raise my hand. I need to walk the aisle. I need to repeat a prayer. I need to add Jesus to my life just so that I can have eternal security. And there really was no change in their life whatsoever. That's not freedom. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about adding Jesus to your life to make you a better person. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to him, submitting wholly to his will, seeking to please him above all else. Do you see the difference between adding Jesus to an already am pretty good life to submitting your entire life to him because of who he is and what he's done on your behalf? He says it demands dying to self and following the master no matter the cost. In other words, to be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. There is no freedom apart from Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 15, there's a huge doctrinal disruption in the church where some Judaizers, some Jewish Christians were coming in and saying, look, if you really want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. So as Pastor J.D. Greer said, the first uh, church members class was all women and children, right? 
Some of you got that. Good. There's a big dispute, and if they didn't handle the dispute correctly, the doctrine of salvation is completely changed for us. So here's the doctrine of salvation. Are you ready? This is super easy. This is the take-home definition. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Can we say that? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's try that again. That was a little weak, all right? So salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not by works, so that no man can boast. Let's pray, and we'll jump into Acts chapter 15. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we do not even realize the chains and the bondage that you have set us free from. You have set us free, and we are free indeed. Father, I would pray that as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would not use our freedom to remain enslaved to sin. That you would convict us by the indwelling power of your presence and your spirit to run from sin, to flee sexual immorality, to flee the things of this world that are contrary to your word, contrary to your righteousness. Father, we thank you that you have entered the battle on our behalf and you have won the war, and we would ask God that you would fill us with your spirit so that we too can fight temptation that we can see the escape, that we can run, or that we can walk by grace. Father, that we'd be a people of grace, that we would share grace. Father, we thank you that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen. The doctrine of salvation debated. There's a debate that arises. So, Let's look at verses 1 through 6 of Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, no small discussion and debate. You know what that means? It got heated, right? I bet there was some yelling in church. Now, we're not going to do that today, okay? But there was a small, there was no small dissension and debate with Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who were appointed to go up. So Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders And they declared to all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So what took place here is that there was a a little bit of a dissension that arose. There were some Judaizers coming in, these Jewish Christians who were now coming in and saying, look, these Gentiles that are coming to the faith, they have got to be circumcised to be saved. They've got to have that outward mark that shows that they are God's people. And so we don't know about this. There's a dissension, there's a debate, there's a discussion that takes place. And so all the churches now are going to convene in Jerusalem to have this council, this ecumenical council, where all the churches gather together to discuss the doctrine of salvation. And so when they get there, sure enough, there's some more Judaizers or believers of of the party of the Pharisees who are saying, look, we have got to make them do these things. And so they begin to discuss it. 
Now, you and I, we read this and we think, man, this is kind of crazy, isn't it? This is kind of wild. But in all fairness, think about this. From a biblical point of view, the Jews have always been God's people. And early on, they were a covenant people with the sign of circumcision. And so it set them apart. It, it, you know, separated them as different than everyone else. They followed the laws of Moses. They, they followed ceremonial laws, civil laws, moral laws. They were to look totally different than every other nation because they were God's people. And so you take this whole understanding that, hey, the first believers are Jews. I mean, Jesus was a Jew, right? So we've got to, we've got to do what the Bible has said for all of these centuries because this is what must happen. And so you've got these people who are like, we're going to fight this. They have got to look like us. They've got to act like us. They've got to speak like us. They've got to dress like us. They've got to be cut like us, right? And it was really hard for them to understand that Jesus Christ changes everything. Isn't it hard for us to understand that sometimes? We see somebody who comes to faith in Christ and they don't dress like us, they don't act like us, they don't talk like us. And sometimes it's really hard for us to understand, man, God, through Jesus Christ, he changes everything. It's really hard for us to understand that in Christ, people are made free and made new in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sadly, even today, we who claim the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we debate true Christianity and salvation by believing that there's something that someone must do. We begin to debate whether or not they're right. And so what we do is we begin to even teach, you need to act like this, you need to talk like this, you need to change like this, you need to, you need to fit in like this. And so the church begins to put on people a yoke of slavery that is all about law and all about legalism and all about do's and don'ts. Some people call it moralistic therapeutic deism, like I'm moral, that's my God, I feel good about it, right? And so we begin to put a weight on people of do this, do this, do this, do this, then you'll be accepted by God. Albert Muller says it this way, a proclamation of good news laced with heresy will like a drink mixed with poison kill the hearer. There are people who have heard over and over and over that there's something you must do for God to be happy with you. You need to follow these rules. And for a lot of them, that's been such a heavy weight that they've walked away from church. Or they haven't walked away because they know there's truth in it, and yet they come and they put on a they put on a mask, they put on a face so that we can look like we fit in here because all week long I know that I don't fit in here. And so we begin to put a weight on people, a gospel that's not a gospel at all, that's laced with heresy and wrong doctrine. And the reason we do this is because the default mode of religion is work-based righteousness, not faith-based righteousness. The default mode of religion and the default mode of the heart is there's something I must do to be right. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? There's something I must do? Again, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes these words, verses 1 through 3, Oh, foolish Galatians, 
Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? He's like, listen, how did you get saved? Was it by something you did? Or was it simply by grace through faith in Christ? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, look, you know that this is how you were saved. Do you think now that you're being accepted because you're now doing these things, that you've now shifted over to a works-based righteousness to where you're now proving yourself to be good? Do you think that's where you find God's righteousness? Look, if it's not for Jesus Christ and his blood covering us, there is no not one who is righteous before God. I don't care if we follow all the rules. That's why he says, look, circumcision, uncircumcision, none of that matters because if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no value to you because you're gonna have to follow the entire law. How many of us in here, show of hands, are really good at following the entire law? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I thought. None of us raised our hands. How many of you broke the law driving to church today? Okay, show of hands. Like, let's be honest. Some of us were like five over, that's not breaking the law, right? Ten over, some of you on this road, 15, 20 over, it's a straightaway, right? We're not good at following the law. The law is only there to show us that we are incapable. So if we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, why do we now think that our works are the basis of our righteousness. They, they're not the basis of our righteousness. It never changed. The basis of our righteousness is Christ alone. He entered the battle for us. He fought the good fight of faith. He lived the perfect life that we can't live. He died the death we should have died, and he rose from the grave, giving us liberty today, freedom from sin. Woo, fireworks. If we live by a works-based righteousness mentality, it will then pour into how we view and judge other people. I'm not talking about how we hold believers accountable for not living in sin. I'm talking about how we look down on believers who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, dress like us, or even sing like us. If we begin to shift to a works-based righteousness, that's the, that's the type of righteousness we're going to hold other people accountable to. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now Luke's vocabulary here and his description, as I've already told you, he's the best historian who ever wrote. His wording here is so remarkable. He says, some believers, okay, believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now let that just sink in for a second. There are believers who still belong to the party of the Pharisees. What do we know about the Pharisees? Man, they are the rule-keeping rule-keepers, right? They tithe out of their spice racks. They bring a tenth of their 
cumin and mint and stuff to church. They're like, here it is. And that, you know, if I brought a tenth of what came out of my garden, you'd have like a quarter of a zucchini. That would, all, that would be all you get. But here it is. So they're following the rules. And they are pharisaical believers. The first church had a huge issue over the doctrine of salvation from pharisaical believers. Now, do you know what we battle with as well? Pharisaical believers. People who would rather live by the law than by liberty and grace. And the reason we know this is because when you get into church and people live by law, they give legalistic rules to follow. But if you get into church and you are surrounded by people of liberty and grace, when you come in wounded from the weak, you know what you're met with? Grace. Love. Mercy. Forgiveness. You're discipled. You're brought in. You're loved on. You're, you're allowed to walk. I'm wounded, but let me walk with you here. Let's restore you. There's a doctrinal danger that we all face. Here it is. Having your identity grounded in what you do and don't do for God rather than who you are in Christ. That's a doctrinal danger. We can all shift to this mindset of God is pleased with me based on what I do and don't do rather than who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ will and should produce the fruit of grace in your life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin, but you have been set free. You've been brought into the house. If you are in Christ, you can now walk not enslaved to the sins of your past, but in freedom because he will give you an escape. A doctrinal danger for them and for us is they believe that they were saved by putting faith in Christ, but after that, they started to drift back towards rules, a rules-based relationship with God. Let me ask you today, when you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ and the freedom you have, do you operate in a rules-based religion or is it grace-based relationship? Are you wrestling with guilt? Because there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt, I'm not doing enough. Guilt, I, I need to be better. Conviction, God, I'm a sinner. And I, I fall on my face before you in repentance. As Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Cathedral, he declared freedom, and he said, look, all of the Christian life is one of repentance. So today, that's as far as I'm going to get. But if you want freedom, here's where it begins. Repentance. Because it is in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works, so that no man can boast. Maybe today you have a sin that you need to repent of. Maybe today you have spit on the grace of God to continue in sin that you know you shouldn't have, and you need to repent of that. And so as, as a pastor and as a brother in Christ, I'm pleading with you to not be foolish any longer. 
but to repent. Turn to God. Find freedom because free people fight sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Father, today as we celebrate our Independence Day, Lord, we celebrate a greater independence that was won by your battle here on earth. Jesus, we thank you that when you were in the garden, you prayed, his will be done. And you followed through with the necessary sacrifice, the atoning work that now covers us. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your word. Father, help us not to add anything to it. Help us to surrender to you, not just add you to our lives. Father, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com, or subscribe to hear more sermons like this, or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.